It's Thursday, June 7th, and this is The Daily Dive. A medical mystery affecting U.S. diplomats in foreign countries is growing after new reports that Americans are falling ill in China after hearing strange noises. My producer, Miranda Moreno, joins me to talk about a New York Times report about diplomats hearing odd sounds leading to symptoms similar to those following a concussion and minor traumatic brain injury. The story also has drawbacks to a similar case in Cuba from 2016. Now that the dust has settled, we will speak to Scott Bland, campaign's editor for Politico, about the top takeaways from 2018's biggest primary night. There were no lockout for Democrats in California House races. A Republican gubernatorial candidate made it to the general election there as well. And as always, President Trump still remains a huge factor in all of it. Finally, we will speak to Axios editor Lauren Meyer about Kim Kardashian's huge victory for criminal justice reform. After visiting the president last month, she convinced him to grant clemency to 63-year-old Alice Johnson, who was sentenced to life in prison without parole for a first-time nonviolent drug offense. We will tell you her story and how Kardashian got the president to set her free. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We had an incident in Guangzhou that the medical indications are very similar and entirely consistent with the medical indications that have taken place to Americans working in Cuba. We are working to figure out what took place both in Havana and in now in China as well. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda Moreno, to talk about this really interesting story coming out of China. The New York Times had a new story. A medical mystery is growing as U.S. consulate workers in China are falling ill. This has very similar details to a case that happened in Cuba where American diplomats were there in Cuba. They were hearing strange noises, and then they started falling ill with a range of illnesses, nausea, different psychological ailments. So, Miranda, what happened in Cuba? This happened towards the end of 2016. In November of 2016, an American official arrived in Havana with his family to start working, and he heard what he called a strange, loud noise. He compared it to cicadas or insects, but really, really loud and almost mechanical sounding, like it was a computer program replicating the sounds of these bugs. And then in December, a different man experienced the same thing, and he started suffering pretty serious symptoms. And these two guys discussed their experiences of the sound back in March to get their stories together, and they had the same exact story. Shortly after that older, the first guy we talked about, the older diplomat and his wife, started actually having to receive medical attention due to hearing loss and other problems from the sound. So in late March, these Americans in Cuba were finally told what was happening to them and some of their colleagues. And word spread, and within a month, 80 Americans, including staff and family, had to get checked out by medical professionals. So the older diplomat and his wife, along with 22 other Americans and eight Canadians, had to be diagnosed with a wide array of concussion-like symptoms. They had headaches, they had nausea, they had hearing loss. They called it a concussion without the concussion. The weird thing about it was is that FBI investigators were on the ground and they have no evidence of what actually happened. They looked into it. They investigated it. They don't know if it was an attack, a sonic attack, some of them called it. If it was just mass hysteria, as you said. If it was psychosomatic, you know, my fellow colleague over here started feeling something, and now I think I feel it too. So it turned into this very big investigation. They thought it might have been a sonic attack, and they have these crowd control weapons that are called LRADs, long-range acoustic devices, that blast noise at people. They thought maybe this could have been something like that. These symptoms and what people were describing isn't really what these LRADs do. 
Right. The difference between what happened with these diplomats in Cuba and what happens when someone has an LRAD pointed at them is very different because the LRADs are super loud. You know, in the movies, when you see them blasting from uh, some kind of a tank, the Spice Girls to get a hostage to leave a room. <laughs> That's what an LRAD is. These right. are these are subtle. These are like it almost sounds like it, you're hearing it in your own head. Yeah. They said it was like a mechanical sounding cicada like static. buzzing static. Yeah. Almost indecipherable. Really what was happening. A lot of people didn't even hear specific sounds. Right. They couldn't describe exactly what they heard, but they were feeling the symptoms. So the uh, State Department was looking into it. The Trump administration expelled a bunch of Cuban uh, diplomats on on our side because we didn't know if it was an attack from the Cubans or not. But they did a big study on this. They published a paper in the Journal of American Medical Association. And what did they find out there? They found that it wasn't mass sociogenic illness. It's what they used to call mass hysteria. And they, because they said that if it was a mass hysteria thing, it wouldn't make any sense because so many different people who didn't even know each other were complaining of the same symptoms privately. The news hadn't even gone public yet. So what the Journal of American Medical Association found was that if you took any of these patients and put them into the brain injury clinic and you didn't know their background, you would think that they had a traumatic brain injury from being in, say, a car accident or a military blast, but they hadn't experienced any of these things. They, like they said, concussion without the concussion. That happened in Cuba in 2016. There was nothing there. There was no concrete evidence of anything until this week. These same sounds, these same reports of people describing weird sounds and then suffering these type of concussion without concussion type symptoms reemerged in China. The State Department evacuated at least two Americans who fell ill in China after hearing these strange noises. Yeah, and many other employees at the American consulate in southern uh, Chinese city of Gangzhou had their family members tested out by the State Department and their medical teams were flown in. And it's unclear how many of them are exhibiting symptoms, but the officials expect even more American personnel to be evacuated. Because for the last few months, they've been worried that these diplomats in China are subjected to these same targeted attacks of hearing odd sounds and leading to those similar symptoms found in Cuba following the concussion or minor TBI injuries. And now nobody knows what to believe. At first, they thought it was the Cubans. Now that it's in China, it could be the Chinese. It could be the Russians, they even said. They even threw out the Venezuelans. Right, exactly. They're blaming anybody. Anybody that has a strained relationship with the United States. And they say there's a lot of other theories. It could be toxins, listening devices that are accidentally emitting harmful sounds. But there was this one man. His name was Mark Lenzi who was a security engineering officer at the consulate. He was one of these people that was exhibiting some of these symptoms. And he actually had to leave Wednesday night with his wife and two children. That was the one who was evacuated because they're the ones who were all displaying these neurological symptoms. He said that his wife had similar symptoms and they were hearing unusual sounds in their apartment. And it's important to note that this consulate where he was working is a new building. It's built just in 2013, and it's designed specifically to keep out these types of attacks or listening devices. But that same doesn't go for the apartment buildings exactly. where they're supposed to live. That's not where it happened. It happened at their apartment buildings. Or hotels. Or hotels, which are very close in proximity to the consulate. That's where the attacks are happening, which adds this other element of intrigue. Are these workers being targeted? Mr. Lindsay said that over the past year, he and his wife experienced similar physical symptoms, including headaches, sleeplessness, nausea. And on three or four occasions, they heard odd noises, but they didn't put them together until the State Department disclosed this information. They didn't make these disclosures until just recently. And he's kind of pissed 
that they didn't say anything earlier. Mr. Lindsay said he worked for the diplomatic security department and believes that his work there very well could have made him a target. This has drawbacks to 2016 in Cuba, something that we never really found out exactly what happened. It's happening now again in China, and it's just a medical mystery that keeps growing. It's something made out of a movie, and we don't know what's happening. We may never know, Oscar. All right, Miranda, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll uh, keep following the story as it develops. This is only the first half of the election calendar, but thanks to you, the halftime score is looking very promising, and the home team is winning big. On your watch, Mr. Newsom, on your watch, California, the Golden State, now has the most people in poverty in the nation. Joining us now is Scott Bland. He's the campaign's editor for Politico. Tuesday, we saw the biggest primary night of 2018. California was the subject of a lot of attention because of their top two jungle primary system that they use there. There was also a chance that a lot of Democrats could get locked out in a lot of key races for the House. So how did California fare on that primary night? Democrats need to gain 23 seats to take back the House, right? And in California, there are seven Republican-held districts that Hillary Clinton actually carried in the 2016 presidential election. So clear big opportunity there, right, to put a, to put a big dent in the Republican House majority. However, uh, because California has this top two primary system where everyone runs on the same ballot and the top two advance regardless of party, if you have, say, a lot of people in one party running, you can dilute the vote and kind of let two members of the other party sneak in at, you know, at the top of a close race. And then there's no Democrat versus Republican in the general election, it's two of the same party. And so Democrats were really concerned about this happening in a few districts in Orange County beforehand. So they spent a lot of money there. And it looks like they narrowly averted it. Like I mentioned, there's a lot, some of them are changing pretty rapidly. Some of them were Republican for a very long time before Clinton carried them over Trump in 2016. And so the Democrats think that might be a sign of rapid evolution that they can take advantage of in the 2018 midterms. Uh, so that, as of right now, that's all on course. And President Trump had a, a small victory there. He endorsed the Republican for the gubernatorial race, John Cox. He endorsed him, and he also made it into the top two. So he's going to be facing off against the lieutenant governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Although, you know, it's still has <laughs> yet to be seen. It's, everybody seems to say that Gavin Newsom is just going to kind of walk into the governor's mansion after that. Yeah, you know, I think Trump's experience in 2016 has probably taught him and a lot of people to never say never when it, exactly. when it comes to, to politics and being told that, uh, you know, oh, this candidate can't win. That said, it, it would have to be something really remarkable for, for John Cox to beat Gavin Newsom. And the victory for him was kind of seen as pretty necessary just to keep GOP voters interested. If uh, there's nobody for governor that's a Republican running, maybe a lot of voters might not want to, GOP voters might not want to turn out at, at that point. It's a prevailing theory, and I think it's a, a pretty reasonable one. I also wonder, you know, there's so much heat around the congressional elections this year. I wonder turnout in those areas wouldn't have been high anyways, but certainly, um, you know, this this may help. And then also, you know, California is going to have a, um, a ballot measure to repeal a, a new gas tax that is pretty heavily scrutinized um, out there that, that may also engage a lot of uh, conservative voters in the fall. Before we move on from California, what's the perception of Gavin Newsom across the country? You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this. Certainly when you go back to his time as the mayor of San Francisco and his role as a crusader for gay marriage and LGBT rights, he was really seen as a progressive firebrand. 
And then, you know, he became lieutenant governor of California and kind of dropped off the map a little bit politically for almost a decade, right? So I, I feel like he's actually not really in the national political conversation as much as... Even like an maybe, Eric Garcetti, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really fair point. Yeah, yeah, in comparison to Eric Garcetti. Now, that said, assuming he manages to win the election, when he's governor of California, he is going to be plugged into the national political <laughs> environment, right. right? Like that's governor of the largest state wields uh, pretty immense power. Moving on uh, from New Jersey to New Mexico, Democratic women cleaned up on Tuesday night. There was a lot of uh, big wins for them. Yeah. And this is a trend that we've seen throughout the primary season. Female candidates doing particularly, you know, unusually well in Democratic primaries. And it should be said, there are a lot of Republican women running too. And uh, one of them, Congresswoman Christy Nome, won the primary for uh, governor of South Dakota. So she's going to be uh, favored pretty heavily to, to become the next governor there. President Trump was obviously a key figure in a lot of these campaigns. One that he did affect was Alabama Republican Representative Martha Roby. She made some remarks about President Trump after his Access Hollywood tapes came out. She's kind of been paying for those things ever since. How did she fare? That was one of the most interesting results of the night. You see, like you, like you mentioned, you know, and uh, go back to October 2016, the Access Hollywood tape comes out. It's got, you know, tape of Donald Trump bragging about, about sexual assault and discussing women in really lewd, crude terms. Right. The, and, uh, quote unquote, locker room um, you know, talk. Republican office holders fled. A lot of them came back to him. But Martha Roby at that time announced that she wasn't going to vote for him. And it cost her in the general election that year. She siphoned off uh, a lot of conservative votes to a write-in candidate. And now this is her first primary since that happened, and it appears that she's still suffering with Republican voters because she finished way under 50%. And in Alabama, you need 50% to win the nomination, so she's going to go into a runoff with the guy who finished in second place, Bobby Bright. And here's where it gets even more interesting. Bobby Bright used to be a Democrat. He was the Democrat that Roby beat to take the seat in the, in the 2010 wave. Oh. <laughs> and so Republican voters are going to have to decide which is more anathema to them, someone who voted against Donald Trump or in Bobby Bright, someone who voted for Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House in, right. in, in 2009. Such an interesting outcome. Yeah. And the president seem, is still very, very popular within his own party. So uh, all of these candidates, uh, you know, in primaries to come and even in the general election that is coming as well, loyalty to the president is still very important. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Gallup put out some numbers the other day showing that Trump's popularity within his own party is historically quite high at the, at the high end. Part of that has to do with uh, the rise in polarization between parties. It absolutely affects these primaries and, like you mentioned, general elections. I mean, the Roby example from 2016 speaks volumes, how a write-in candidate was able to capture some, some Republican uh, votes that, that didn't want to support Roby because she said she wasn't supporting Trump. Scott Bland, campaigns editor for Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. First of all, thank my Lord and Savior, thank God. Jesus thank Christ. God. God. Without him, I can do nothing. But with him, I can do everything. I want to thank President Donald John Trump. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me another chance yeah. in life and restoring me to my family. Well, yes. thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Joining us now is Lauren Meyer. She's an editor for Axios. The president granted clemency to Alice Johnson, a 63-year-old grandmother, and this has an interesting twist on it. She was petitioned for this 
by uh, the celebrity Kim Kardashian. Who is Alice Johnson and uh, why was she in jail? Alice Johnson has been serving a life sentence in an Alabama federal prison since 1996. She was convicted on eight criminal counts related to a cocaine trafficking operation in Memphis and has spent the last almost 22 years serving her time in federal prison for a first-time criminal offense. According to some indictments from 1994, there was a bunch of deliveries, transactions, and a lot of them involved Alice. But she was a first-timer, and people have said that her time in in jail, she's been a model inmate. Just a really good person and, and really sorry for her crimes and trying to turn her life around. But a lot of criminal justice advocates say this case in particular shines a light on how these life without parole sentences for first timers is really too harsh. Absolutely. Um, And this is kind of where Kim Kardashian's role comes into play as she was able to tap into this argument that these criminal justice reform advocates have been saying for years, which is that they see this case and many others still serving as a glaring example of why systemic reform is so needed. This whole case came to her attention by looking at some viral video online. Back in October, Kim Kardashian had retweeted this deep dive video that Mike had produced to her some 60 million followers. And in this video that was retweeted thousands of times, Johnson told Mike that she initially became involved in drug trafficking due to what she called significant financial hardship after a string of unfortunate events in her life, explaining that she lost her job at a FedEx due to a gambling addiction, her son was killed in a motorcycle accident, and that her marriage ended in divorce. And then about a month after sharing this video explaining the case, Kardashian tasked a team of attorneys, including her personal lawyer, to provide legal support for a petition seeking that Johnson's sentence be commuted. Since then, Kim has spoke with White House advisor and son-in-law to the president, Jared Kushner, a couple times uh, to talk about a possible pardon for Johnson. And ever since she last week met with the president and Kushner in the White House to talk about not only Johnson's case, but also prison and sentencing reform. As you mentioned, Jared Kushner is involved in this. Some have said that this kind of sets up a, a fight between Jared Kushner He's pushing for criminal justice reform and the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who's been very tough on crime, especially towards drugs. It definitely could result in some sort of backlash between the administration and the Department of Justice. But Kushner's efforts are really showing a much broader effort to highlight the issue of prison reform, uh, particularly focused on nonviolent offenders, seeing as there are thousands of people in federal prisons without parole for drug offenses very similar to this. He's uh, had a couple of other high-profile pardons just very recently, Dinesh D'Souza, Jack Johnson. Some of these are, you know, cases, obviously the Jack Johnson case brought by Sylvester Stallone, Dinesh D'Souza just a, a conservative star in his own right. But this also leads to the question, you know, how, where is his interest in all these, in all of these cases? can lie in a number of different areas. But as you mentioned, what we've seen in the last few pardons or clemency grants that he has been given out, that they have been influenced by very high-profile people and sometimes people that he knows, including 
some rumors floating around that he may be considering a, a, a presidential pardon for one of his coworkers on his show, The Apprentice, Martha Stewart. Yeah, and Rod Blagojevich as well. He's, his name has been tossed out there. I think it was Rudy Giuliani in some of the Sunday talk shows a few weeks ago was also saying with some of these pardons, uh, the president is sign- kind of sending a tone out there saying that uh, even other people that are maybe caught up in the Russia probe, rest easy, you know, don't worry, we might grant you some type of pardon or something like that as well. He has been going around a lot of these talk shows explaining that, and a lot of people are going out and believing that this is a much bigger sign to people involved in this investigation that, hey, if you cooperate and if you get yourself in some sort of trouble, I may be able to help you out in the long run. However, there are lots of experts saying on the other end that his presidential powers may not be able to exceed that far, especially because he does have some personal involvement in this probe altogether. Well, at least in this case uh, of Alice Johnson, uh, like I said, everybody has said she has been a model prisoner there. Uh, she's been very remorseful of her time, and she was a first-time offender, so it was a very harsh crime to begin with. So at least in this case, it seems like there's some positive coming out of it. Lauren Meyer, editor for Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.